Comedy is fucking hard. Get off the stage, you're not funny, man. You're stealing material. No dirty jokes on stage, but I'm gonna fucking kick your ass out. Shut it down. Here we go, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode of the Funny Stop Comedy Club podcast. Joining me today, Mark Skippy Price. Thanks Comedians in cars getting coffee, but we don't have any coffee. But we've got water. We have water. A Comedians in car with water. And I, I asked for a Red Bull because I'm old now and in between shows I need a little something to keep me going these days. And cocaine, well, that's so 80s. <laughs> that's, and so they gave me a Red Fuel. That's actually what they do with the Red Bulls. That yeah, they just put a little cocaine here. <laughs> they water it down with cocaine. Oh my gosh! It's, it's really uh, just water and cocaine. It's uh, yeah. it's gross, is what it's it is. called. The Funny Stop Special. Mm. Yeah, but I think it's working. So this is I actually I like that we're doing this right after you're getting right off stage because you just I mean you just headlined, and you know had a great set. Thank you. How how did you uh, from your perspective? How do you think it went? It went fine. I got them going. I kicked them in the ass. They were a little quiet. You heard before mm-hmm. I got up. They were not uh, rolling. Um, I think I punched them in the stomach a little bit and got them going a bit. But um, mm-hmm. it's hard to say when you're up there. It's, it's always you're always delusional about how it really goes. You really are. So you tell me. <laughs> that's. Uh, I thought it went really well. Okay. Um, good, good. I've seen every uh, headliner that's been through here for you know forever, um, and uh, yeah, it was it went really well. Thank but you. But like thank I, you know that's why I asked is because when you're up there. Like, cause there are times where I'm like, man, I fucking killed that. And then I watch the video. I try to record everything <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to, yeah. you know, like watch film. You don't know. And I, then you go, well, it was good. It was okay. Was I learned good, that but- young age acting in movies because one time I wasn't happy with how a take was going and I stopped it. I actually mm-hmm. yelled cut and the director was furious. I yelled cut. You're, don't, you're an actor. You don't yell cut. The only one that yells cut on my set is me. He was a great director, by the way, super mm-hmm. nice. But he really flipped out. And I was like, huh. And then he showed me later calmly. He goes, look, here, take a look. And he showed me the take where I yelled cut. And it was a perfectly good take. So you just weren't feeling it in the I moments. wasn't feeling it in the moment, but actually I didn't know it was actually going fine. Mm-hmm. And remember, in movies, they could use a little bit from the beginning, a little bit from the end. It all doesn't even have to go well. You could even fuck up in the middle. It's like you're not supposed to yell, cut. This <laughs> is not your are job. You, I'm sure people ask you all the time, are you interested in talking about... Uh, I, mean, I, I don't like mind those... talking about anything. I've grown so, to cope with questions about well, all I'm the just, stuff from 30 years ago. If I did something more recent, maybe somebody would ask me about it. That's well, all I'm curious about what you just mentioned with film. I'm, I'm really interested in that aspect of it. Um, like you said, they're, you know, they're cutting. You know, they can take... If you do, let's say, a 20-second scene 10 times, they could take... Little pieces take, from every take two part seconds of, it. of each one and be like, "Ooh, that that." So, and hopefully you're not doing it ten times. By the way, ten ten take take ten. You know, you know it's getting late. You know the crew's getting pissed at you. If you're a take ten, it's not good. It's not good. I um, was always told by directors and stuff that uh, the first take was always the best one for me. Yeah. Well, I guess because because as a comedian, after you do it once, then it, then you start to try to do it different ways, and mm-hmm. you don't want to quite do it the same way again. And I don't know; it's just never as fresh as that first time. Well, that's where my question comes in. Like, when you do, you find yourself sometimes, you know, maybe because you know, I know, like with comedy, you know, like I try and get in that headspace, and everybody's trying to get in that headspace. You're trying to get locked in before you go up and perform. 
and you really do just have one shot at that performing, you know, for that set. Um, do you think about it like that when you're filming a scene and you get all amped up, but then they go, all right, let's run it back. And then does it, does it go into tedious at all? Because you are running so many like different takes, different, maybe you the other person has a line and you're just standing there and they're know. just picking up a, I don't know. The worst is when you're not prepared, you know, there's a famous book. If you're an actor or you want to be an actor, you should read the book by the famous actress and acting teacher, Uta Hagen. And she writes the book, it's called Respect for Acting. Mm -hmm. You know, an actor prepares, you know, that's the whole thing. You're supposed to be so prepared that you can do it in your sleep. It's like stand-up comedy. You're supposed to be so prepared that you can forget about thinking. It just happens. You do all your thinking ahead of time. You get all thought about it, prepared, and then you just let it go. When it comes to showtime, you just let it go. It just right. happens. It's like a natural, all the preparations in there, you just trust that it's there and you let it go. And so, um, but if you don't prepare, if an actor doesn't prepare, or an actor disrespects acting, I've done it, you don't know your lines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I've had, you know, big speech or whatever, and I'm like trying to remember it so hard, like, right, you know, you get all nervous and everything, and then you go to do it, and you mess it up, and they're doing nine takes, oh. and it's because you don't know your lines, that's the worst. That's so bad. Do you consider yourself, at your core, a comedian. A com that's what was my question. Jay Leno, Jerry and Seinfeld. He, Jay Leno, host of The Tonight Show. Ask him what he does for a living. He's not a talk show host. A He's a stand-up comedian. He's always doing comedy. Jerry Seinfeld, years. the star of the biggest sitcom in history. What is he, a sitcom star? No, he'll tell you he's a stand-up comedian. So and, even as uh, an actor, you always considered yourself a comic. I was a comedian first, but yes, I was on that show, and I got to meet all the big stars. And I, you know, I opened for Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno. Before they were the host of The Tonight Show and mm -hmm. uh, the big star on TV sitcom. They were already really popular comedians. They were the most famous comedians they in the country. They said Jay was the best in the world. He they was, said he, he was, was one of the best. He was the most famous in the country, but he wasn't the host of The Tonight Show yet. Mm -hmm. And certainly um, Tim Allen and Drew Carey and Paul Reiser and all the guys that became big sitcom stars, all the comedians that became big sitcom stars, Jeff Foxworthy. When I was on Family Ties and starting to do stand-up comedy at the clubs and meeting those guys, mm -hmm. they weren't on shows yet. They were very respected comedians, but they weren't on sitcoms. And so I had something they wanted. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, they had something I wanted, an act, <laughs> and the ability to go out on the road and kill it. And so it was a real kind of reversal of fortunes. You know, all they wanted was a sitcom, and all I wanted was to play the funny stuff. You know, I just... I'm, not, I'm in that same place. I want to be a road comic. If I can, I said, uh, you know, if I can make as much, as, you know, as what I was going to do graduating from college, whatever job I was going to take, you know, like working at a nine to five, if I can make that 30, 40,000 a year. How old, I do are, have how old are you? I'm 27. You're 27. We should talk. <laughs> I, have, I have goals, but like, and I'm not, that's not my, I'm not saying, I'm accepting that, but I, I, I'm very happy with that because I want to work on the road. I, more than anything, love to do stuff like the funny stuff. I, I love this club. Well, we I, should talk because I team up with millennials and do a comedy show called Generation X versus Millennials. Yeah. So we could actually do, we could set up a little road tour and go from Columbus to a few other places. That would be, that'd be insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll talk. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I love that kind of stuff. And right now, a lot of us, the way that Pete develops us, and it's, it's very old school and traditional, you go MC, MC host, feature, and then headliner. As, you know, having uh, success early on, did they thrust you into maybe a position, maybe feature or headliner, 
because they, you know, they knew you could draw, but, and, and did you feel ready for that? Okay, so that's a great question. So I was lucky, first of all, from the time I was 14, I, before that I was performing with my dad. My dad was a comedian, so mm -hmm. I started hanging out so backstage. George Burns, Joey Bishop, you know, the old timers. And then he took me to go see Robert Klein and David Brenner. They were the kids. Uh -huh. So my, my education on stand-up was, you know, hard to, hard to compete. And I started performing on my own when I was about 12. And then I started hanging out at the clubs when I was 14. And uh, when it came time for me to go on the road to headline, my first headlining, excuse me, I wasn't headlining, my first road trip without my dad, was Akron, Ohio. It was the it was called the Akron Canton Comedy Club. This is circa 1986, mm -hmm. and I'll never forget it. it. Was my first road gig, and I had a friend, Steve Smith, Stephen Brian Smith. He goes by Steve Smith. He's a wonderful comedian now. He works cruise ships, uh -huh. and he took me out, and he took me under his wing. And he had the time. I didn't have enough time, so he headlined. I middled. We used me to sell tickets. Mm -hmm. Guy from Family Ties, and. At the end of the show, I would come up and join him, and we did improv games together. So it brought me into the end. Mm -hmm. And what a thrill. How much fun that was. What a great guy he was. He taught me a lot about selling it. I remember him used to say, he said, it doesn't even matter if it's not that funny if you sell it. He goes, look at my shit. <laughs> he goes, look at it. It's not even that funny. He goes, he goes look at Robin Williams. Look at Robin Williams. So there's everything. conviction there. You believe there's, in it. There's conviction, and he's selling it. And, not, you know, Robin Williams has funny lines, but sometimes they're not that funny. It's just the way he says it and the timing and the feeling and a feeling of funny. Are you are you happy that, in a way, you had the, you know, I guess the, you know, the forethought to... Because, you know, because you see some of these people that maybe, like, blow up on YouTube with 10 million views, and then, like, the funny bone, like, they'll headline them. And then, you you know, you realize that they have, like, 15 minutes, and they didn't take the time to develop, and that can hurt them. So are you happy that you had the, you know, the kind of forethought and had mentors to not thrust you in a place to yeah. set you up for failure? Of course, I'm jealous of anybody that gets 10 million views. But uh, it's okay. I mean, I you know. In a way, it's. Probably I don't know great if the funny bone life. does that. By the way, you chose a, a brand name that probably knows their headliners a little better. I don't think they just give anybody. Uh, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You, okay. Okay. All right. They sell tickets though, and you. Well, and I, from a, from the, their perspective, they sell the tickets. I'm yeah. not mad at the game. I mean, there was a, who was the lady that uh, Trump? She was a stripper. Oh right, Stormy yes, Daniels. Daniels. She she sold out. Why not? More yeah. power to her. Yeah, but and uh, it's like you made the you know the club money. The, Whether or not she has it. The discussion that a lot of my uh, era of comedians have about this is uh, we don't mind. We don't mind hobbyist comedians. We don't mm -hmm. mind. The problem is some of them are great promoters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, they, and they make a poster and they make it look like a regular show. It's not clear that this is amateurs trying out material. It looks like a great comedy show. And then people go see it and they don't enjoy it as much as they could because people haven't. You can take time the to get the same good. exact thing two hours ago. And then and they, they don't want to see a show anymore because <laughs> that's it. They go, oh, I saw a few comedy he screamed shows. screamed it. I don't um, like but, comedy. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, what can we do about it, though? What can we do? We just keep fighting the good fight and trying to keep making people laugh. And you're in a good place because you're 26 now, and so you get to watch comedy change again. Because let's face it, I don't mean to insult the business here or every comedy club in the country like I'm about to do, but it is your father's comedy club. There's nothing new and fresh about it. I mean, it's, you know, are you ready for your headliner tonight? The format, the microphone, just... Everything about it is, is in fact, now since 1986, <laughs> not unchanged. Mm -hmm. 
the style of comedians has changed a little bit, a little more storytelling, a little less punchline oriented, but for the most part, it's the same. And so uh, comedy changes all the time. It doesn't go away, but it changes and it's long overdue for its change. And so what's next? That's what's exciting. What direction would you like to see it go? Well, first of all, unfortunately, whatever direction it is, I'm probably going to be that old fogey that's just a little behind it. Just That's just the way it works. That's how generations work. But likely it has to do with multi-comedia. That's what I call it, multi-comedia. The internet, big screens, YouTube videos, interactivity. Here's my friend from L.A. right now. Boom, here tonight in Akron, Ohio. I point to the stage and my friend from L.A. joins the show. You know, Mm -hmm. boom, on a screen. You know, people, instead of laughing, they're hitting LOL into their text, you know, on their iPhone. You know, I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. the case, but some sort of interactive with videos and the internet and stuff like that. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I, uh, we've had similar discussions. Um, we'll see if that's where it goes exactly or what'll happen when it goes there and what's next. I don't think we'll have the microphone anymore. I think that the dynamics need to change. There'll be some new amplification system that blows away the old-fashioned microphone. The microphone feels so old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. You know, just holding it. Yeah. Would you, uh, have you ever done the, uh, where they have like the the little microphone that hangs down off your ear. That's 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 become old fashioned too at this point, right? Yeah. The little the little Broadway musical Madonna mic. The I Britney, think I just the saw Britney Ian Spears. Edwards. I think he just went with. Uh, I think he did like something that he just like attached to his shirt. Because huh. he wasn't using the microphone for his last special. They just aired a few days. Ago. And who was that? Ian Edwards. Ian Edwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe there. Yeah, the, the, even the mic. You think that all of it is starting to become antiquated in a way? It is, it is. You know what's so funny is they use the picture of the old 1950s mic that means stand-up comedy somehow. I don't know how that became the international like the big round symbol one, like the radio for mic? Elvis mic, you know, yeah. the old 50s one. But, uh, but that wasn't used in stand-up comedy for since the 40s. I don't know where that became the international symbol of stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I recently played at the place where they made those microphones. It's a factory that's closed, and they have a comedy club there now. Do they? Uh, yeah, where they used to make the microphones. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, I would like to. I, I, I love the history of comedy. Like you were saying, you grew up in it, so you, you know you were kind of entrenched in the history of comedy. But I, I, I love the history of comedy um, because, like you say, like it, it, I think it is you know kind of cyclical in some ways. Because let's say they did become antiquated to have a mic in a traditional show, um, like you know that we might grow out of today. But you know, in twenty years, that would be the hipster thing to have a mic it'll go retro it'll go retro and it's like then and then those are the cool shows and everybody's <laughs> lame hey i wanted to do my dad's act i always thought that would be fun to do a show called my dad's act and uh-huh. just do my dad's act but i can't sing he could sing my dad can sing did some songs he did always he always had a band see in those days there weren't there weren't three comedians in a row there were, there was always one comedian my dad was the comedian my dad was the comedy star of tonight's show there'd be a singer a dance act a band mm-hmm. maybe the mc would tell a few jokes and frankly secretly i'll just tell you and everyone listening that my dad would get pissed backstage if the mc told too many jokes mm-hmm. it was his job to be the comedy star he didn't yeah. want anyone else getting in on his area you know but uh that was one of the fundamental changes of comedy clubs. It was comedians all night, and then as the road clubs opened up, it was three comedians in a row. And now with those open mic nights and stuff, they often have 12 people. No, sometimes 20. 20 people. I've hosted on nights where we've had uh, we've had 25, and uh, you can't even, even I'm like, I don't even want to tell a joke, but we're going to be here. I can't tell jokes in between, or we're going to be here all night. 
my dad started performing in the 20s, went right through till the 90s, till he couldn't perform anymore, which is what those old school guys do. They just keep going. George Burns, you know, Don Rickles, all that stuff. I don't know that I'll be that way. I, I'm ready to retire now. But he always had a band. If, if it wasn't a band, like towards the end of his career when he had some smaller shows and stuff, there'd be like a trio or at least a piano player. It was never no band. Yeah, I like that old school because uh, you know it's like the old like the vaudevillian variety shows, and maybe that was even like a, a trimmed up cleaner version of that. Those, but, yeah. um, my grandfather used to book those. My grandfather was an agent in vaudeville, mm -hmm. and so imagine trying to book stuff when you didn't have the internet or the email or you know. I just try to imagine a, a, a telegram, you know, to try to set up a booking. It must imagine have been, them on the road. That's a reality show I'd like to see. I don't even know how to get it. A juggler, a magician, a comic, a, a musician. I mean, just the whole nine yards. It must have been fun. Oh, I bet it was a blast, too. It was such an unusual skill that nobody thought they could do it. See, I watched the evolution of that. When I started doing stand-up comedy, and I'd get on a plane, and somebody next to me would be like, Oh, you're a comedian? Wow! They'd be so impressed. A comedian! Honey, he's a comedian. They were they were impressed and they respected it. It was with an awe. There was a sense of awe. A comedian. Now, now that everybody and their brother is a comedian, everybody's a that, that, now that the saying "everyone's a comedian" came true. You tell somebody you're a comedian and they feel bad for you. Oh, my cousin's a comedian. He works at Best Buy. Yeah. It, Can I buy a sandwich? And, and also, I mean, with open mics too, there's a uh, there's a reality that when you go up the first time, you know, like people bring tons of people, they'll bring 30 people, and everybody's being very supportive, and that's good, that's good, because, you know, that can that can give somebody enough gas to keep moving forward. No the doubt. the reality is they no doubt. crush that first night, and they go, I should be on Netflix. <laughs> then it's like, you don't know the reality. We all just gave you, we all just did you a favor. Like, we're all being nice because we, we want you to enjoy there, this and see the great parts of it. But the reality is, some nights it is rough. There's, really rough. There's nothing wrong with supporting your friends their first night, by the way. I remember uh, not at all. my first solo show. It wasn't really a full show. My first solo show was an audition. And the... Uh, director uh, laughed a lot and the producers laughed a lot and it, it, it really did encourage me. It, absolutely. The first time I went I had my friends come out and they were uh, they were supportive and they could tell I was very nervous but I cared about it. So they gave, gave a couple fake laughs. They exaggerated their laughs a bit and that's fine. But you know sometimes you end up killing and you go I got this thing mastered. And it's like you know 10 years you know you might you, got, you put in 10 years and you realize, you know, all the times you're going to bomb, it gets tougher, all that. You know the little bracelets people wear? What would JC do? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus. Those little, like, rubber bracelets. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, I like to wear a bracelet that says, what would GC do? Who am I talking about? George Carlin. Indeed. Is there anyone better? Is there any comedian? He's my, uh, he's my goat. He's, I, my, he's my number one guy. I think he's everybody's number one, him yeah. and Pryor. But man, I still listen to him today. He's timeless. Mm -hmm. Even his outfit. He wears all black. It fits today. There's nothing that feels like, oh, that's from... You know, occasionally you'll see an older special. He's got bell-bottom pants or something. But towards the end, he wore just straight-on black outfits that are evergreen, if you will. Mm -hmm. And his material is so radically on point today, even if it's from 20 years ago. It's amazing. It's brilliant, yeah. 
He, uh, I, I think you're right. Yeah, him and Pryor, they were, uh, you know, that they were generational talents. Who do you think uh, today fits that mold? Who in 20 years they're going to look back and they're going to say still fits? Good question. One of the greats or a couple. I don't know if there's anybody at the George Carlin level right now. I don't know. I could be wrong, and maybe that's mean, and I don't know if your listeners are like, oh, about and what about him? Okay, Chappelle. Chappelle. I thought. Chappelle. That's a good That's a good one. That's a good one. He's up there. He is if up it's there. generational for me, it goes Carlin. Well, Eddie Murphy was my first. And Eddie that's Murphy's a, coming out with new Netflix specials and everything, so that's exciting. Yeah, Fair. Chappelle. Chappelle. He gets he gets the torch gets handed to him, he does fairly, fairly. Some people say Patrice, and uh, you know, and, and everybody says it, so you got to respect it. But in the same way with like those Forever Twenty Seven people, they were great. But how much do you think their legacy is improved when they don't get to show the bad stuff? Like imagine if the Stones died before they, you know, before they toured when they were seventy, and everybody was like, yeah, okay, the new stuff's okay, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, what if he just died before he... Thankfully, that did, that did not happen. Um, like like the Forever 27 people, you know? It's it, like, it happened to great. Patrice, but it didn't happen to the, to the Rolling Stones. And that's sad. We missed Patrice. I remember hanging out in front of the Greenwich Village, uh, one of the comedy clubs in the village, and the comedians are passing around a joint. And I'm so white and nerdy, I don't know what's going on. I'm holding the joint. The cop drives by real slow. I don't even move or react or anything. They're all look, looking at me. They're looking at the cop. And Patrice says, yo, Skippy, drink milk. <laughs> I, I heard all the com like he was all, all the comics respected him the most. And what line, uh, I guess there's a line of, you know, I guess, you know, being like a, that whole idea of a comics comics, like getting the respect from the comics by maybe doing the challenging stuff, you know, kind of pushing yourself to different limits, but then also popularity. And Patrice seemed like a guy. Did both. You think he he got he, he got both of them? No, you don't think so. Um, his popularity, you're going to say. I would say there? the popularity popularity would be less than some of the guys of his era, mm-hmm. but the beloved, beloved by the. But by the it, team. I want. I guess what I'm asking is, do you think if you push towards popularity, sometimes maybe the the challenging stuff, like it, 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 you don't get to do that. But then if you do the more challenging stuff, that might remove you from being popular because you're. You're pushing boundaries and having unpopular opinions. I don't know. That's a very good is question. It, it kind of depends on what audience you foster and how you do it. You know, let's look at Sam Kinison. I watched him used to close the show because he would scare people away. They put him on last. Mm-hmm. They still they call it the Sam Kinison spot. It's last. Everyone there is drunk. There's only hardly anyone there left anymore. And the people are there. They were there all night. And it's it's just, it's like one of the hardest spots, you know. <laughs> it's like 900 comedians and then you're on last. And, just walk and he would walk them. He would start yelling and everything and people would freak out. They'd just walk out. And the comedians would sit in the back and laugh and watch him do this. It was so funny. And then people started like rock stars and stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, Billy Idol's in the back laughing at this. And it became like a hip thing. Like people started to come to watch him walk out the, the the regular people. It was almost like meta. Like And then before like, you knew it, they were all there to see him. And it was it was I watched that evolution, you know, it was really exciting. But he was able to not uh, cave or give in to, you know, what his comic ideals. Integrity, and, I guess. Oh, he had, his vision. He had all that and he did he broke all the rules. Oh, he loved to break the rules. You think that's just the combination that the greats have, Carl and Pryor, is that they were able to keep their 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 uh, the vision, the integrity of their vision, 
but it also resulted in them being popular. Good point. Because you point. get some people that uh, it's one way or the other. Have no that. doubt. No like doubt. You see no them doubt. on the road and you go, "This is legitimately one of the best in the world right now." But they do some, you know, maybe not not too safe stuff, not too safe material, and that's maybe why they don't get the Netflix or the Comedy Central. There's but also it's like, the off the stage. Fucking best. There's the off the stage behavior too, like. You know, as much of an anarchist as he might be, George Carlin was a professional, and he would oh. show up and he would do the job. No, no, I'm telling you, there's a lot of guys that I think are funny as George Carlin, but you'll never know their name because they just can't play the game. They just won't work for anybody. They won't show up. They won't. They won't play by the rules. They won't do what they're told to, and they're just not gonna. And you don't know their name, but they are as funny as anybody. The best in the world. But the guys that became as popular as you can be, Jay Leno and any of those guys, um, I think they had the combination of being really funny and they're also like nice. And they're, I don't want to say easygoing because they're not all totally easygoing, but easygoing enough mm-hmm. where the corporations and the people who are in charge of making the money or whatever can can deal with it because they're not going to, they don't care how funny you are. If you're a problem or a pain in the ass or whatever, you're out. They'd rather a mediocre, less funny, easygoing person. Yeah. That's what I've it's a, It's a unique blend. And, and I, I think, you know, being someone who is interested in the history, you know, like, like both of us, uh, that's something that I, I think about in trying to examine the ones that I like and then, you know, wondering when I encounter that in my career. All right. Um, so is so, this a good hey, conversation? Do you have any final questions here? I, thank you. How about that? I'll take that. I appreciate so. it. I really do. Um, yeah, everybody... Uh, Mark Skippy Price and uh, I'll post this I'll send you when I post it and uh, love your guts that's the opposite of hate your guts it's a very loving positive yeah. thing anything and, that you'd uh, like to throw out there we don't have a ton of listeners but the ones that do listen are, are we're pretty going, good we're going to uh, we're here at the funny stop in the Akron area right now we're going to Massachusetts and Connecticut next um, anything for, online you'd like yeah, to promote this is my, my 28th city this year nice big, big tour we got a lot lot more coming up with some great shows you're living Gen- my dream. Right Generation now. X versus Millennials comedy shows. And uh, I'm touring with some American heroes that were injured significantly in the line of duty. And they're now stand-up comedians. And that's cool. And uh, that's about it. Right. If there's anything else, you can send it to me and I'll post uh, the links when I post the video. Thanks again. Love your guts. It. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Um, first off, if you are listening, uh, you know, and you're enjoying it, feel free to drop a like or a subscribe, you know, those things always help. Um, but also a little reminder, I'd like to remind you guys that if you did click play, I have installed a hidden paywall that as soon as you click play, you're going to be charged $75 to listen to this episode. Um, so it's, it's not something that you probably would have noticed. So that's why I'm going to remind you here. Um, you definitely wouldn't have noticed it. It's, a, it's hidden very well, a very well hidden paywall. Um, but as soon as you click play, $75 is going to be pulled from your account because I would imagine that you guys have, if you're listening to this on your phone, your, you know, your tablet or your, your PC, um, you, you probably have financial information uh, that you have used on those devices. And I've just went ahead and linked those for you. I saved you the hassle. I went ahead and linked those for you. And uh, as soon as you click play, <laughs> you know, is you just press that button, yeah, $75 was pulled out of your account. So, and that's already gone so at this point you might as well uh the way i see it you might as well just listen to it the rest of the podcast and uh and see what you think because you know you did just pay 75 dollars for yeah uh, for the podcast 
So I, I, I would, I can't imagine myself not listening to it after that. You know, that would just be a waste of money, right? So, um, you know, just go ahead and listen to it. And then really whatever you, uh, the, the mindset that you leave in is kind of up to you. Because you could leave this feeling like, oh, I've been scammed or, you know, this guy just stole $75 from me. And that's really just a matter of perspective because, you know, if you're listening uh, intently and you find something, you know, a nice uh, gem or nugget of information that you can apply to your life or uh, is maybe a, a, a revelation to you, then I would say that's uh, well worth the $75, you know. And, uh, you know, per perhaps a seed will be planted that, um, you know, uh, uh, allows you to embark upon a life that you otherwise would not have, you know, that, 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 uh, that leads to great happiness and success. And then at that point, it's like, you know, $75 is pretty cheap. So, you know, then it's like, you kind of, maybe you owe me money, you know? Um, so, um, you know, I, I guess really what I'm saying is it's really how, uh, how you one I would listen to the podcast and then however you leave feeling is kind of up to you. So, Seventy-five dollars, though. Comedy is fucking hard. Get off the stage, you're not funny, man. stealing material. No dirty jokes on stage, but I'm gonna fucking kick your ass out. Shut it down.